within 12 months, I made $1.58 million. It was incredible. I did not know how I made that really, because <laughs> I, never, I never intended to make millions. And when I made half a million, I didn't even know that until I went to a workshop and they said we had to do our numbers and numbers were something I was so scared of, but I was like, okay, if you asked me to do, I sat down and did my numbers and I was like, holy shit, we made half a million dollars. Really? Because I did not check my bank account. Welcome to the Rise Podcast. Rise above your fears, rise above your challenges, rise above the unexpected. You have come here today to listen to leaders and everyday people from around the world talk on health, love, life, spirituality, business, and the planet. By listening to stories of others transcending their challenges, it expands your knowing to see and hear that you have the capacity to access the same resources and internal energy so you can rise into a state that will serve your abundance, flow, and harmony. I am your host, Amy Redunds. Together, let's find a new way to get things done. Together, let's find a new way to be. Together, let's rise. This is an exciting episode. Today I'm speaking with my good friend, Arabel Yi. She is a superpower of a woman. We're going to be talking about her journey from being a maiden into motherhood and then building a million dollar business in only 12 months as a single mama. She has kicked it and she is going to be sharing everything from her manifesting journey to setting boundaries. If you're a role, a mum, a single mother, or a woman in business, you have got to listen to this episode. So enjoy the show. Hello and welcome everyone to the Rise podcast. I have with me this morning a very special friend of mine, Arabelle, and who's an inspiration to all. So welcome, Arabelle. Thank you so much for having me on. Take three or four, whatever that is. We're going <laughs> yes. to make this, time, make this work this time. <laughs> yeah, we've had quite a few attempts at this interview. So this mm-hmm. must be the juicy one that we're here to share. <laughs> yes, 100%. Uh, so I would love for you to start off and share with us, Arabelle, what is your cultural background and how has that influenced where you are today? Hmm. So I'm originally from Burma and growing up in Burma has been incredible because it's a very culturally rich country. And not only that, I'm not trying to sound like super religious, but it is a very religious country. And I was born into a Buddhist family, a very much like a devout Buddhist family. And especially my grandfather, who was very much highly respected in the entire country. Everybody knew of him and everyone was so scared of him, including all of us. <laughs> so when we were little, he would bring us to you know, to go to the monasteries and he would teach us how to like put your hands together and how to say prayers and um, how to talk to the monks and all of that. He would do that. And of course, when you're a kid, you never liked it, right? So I never really liked any of that. And as we were growing up, my mom would be the one who, she was the one who really taught me so many things about Buddhism and, uh, you know, all these different types of prayers and about um, Mita and Mita is um, basically loving kindness and everything was there but I never really got it until I was about I would say 22 when everything really came together and how does it help me today well I think it's a combination of everything because I I always tell my friends that I'm a late bloomer when everyone else was like out there partying or doing all these things at 16 17 the first time I actually started partying was when I was like 22 um and but that was also the time when when everyone has finished rebelling that was when my rebellion started (laughs) so you know I started discovering all 
these parts about me and all about life and love and struggles and challenges and working for someone else. And I started figuring out and finding all these different things about life. And that was also when I started asking all these different questions that people couldn't really answer. So I would ask questions like, when we go to a pagoda, why are we not allowed to go after that certain level? Like, why are only men allowed to go there? Was Buddha sexist, <laughs> you know? Or I would ask like, why are we not allowed to do certain things as girls or as women? And people could not really answer. They would just say, that's what Buddha said, or that's how it is. That's how it's been. And I was never really happy with that. So I started finding answers and people couldn't give me answers. So I got to a point at a certain time that I did not believe in Buddhism because to me, what I didn't know is it was all dogma, right? But mm -hmm. I didn't know that because people couldn't give me the answers that I was seeking. And even things like, you know, we would go to this um, place uh, very very far away from the city and they have all these like I don't know how to say it in English stone carvings like mm -hmm. you know all these engravings oh yes yes, yes yeah yeah so they I think there was like a thousand of them and we had like sort of like a tour guide and he was showing us like these are all Buddha's teachings and you know these are like very sacred and all of that and it was incredible but then me being me I started thinking and I'm like are you sure that whoever carved these words, like they wouldn't have like changed a word or a meaning or edit a sentence? Or do you think that that could have happened? And he was not happy that I asked him. And he said, no, this is what Buddha taught. And I said, well, you weren't there. How do you know that it's all the truth? Right? Mm -hmm. So so then I started like really um, on this discovery path. And I thought that I didn't believe in Buddhism. But what I didn't believe was the dogma that came with it you know the isms but anyway so I went on to this other path of you know the shamanic journey and um, you know going into the jungles of the Amazon and working with all these different healers and that's when I was experiencing this other world only to come back the full circle to realize that oh my goodness Everything that I have heard of, everything that I was taught since I was born, and everything that the Buddha teaches or taught is actually all this. It's just the, you know, the law of the universe, the law of nature. And then when I actually started understanding that, the biggest thing that has impacted me up until today, which I actually even talked about this yesterday at this event that we did in Mexico, was the middle path. The middle path and I tend to be someone who could be a little bit extreme and more towards that taking risks but then um, since like 25 26 27 I really started understanding this the power of um, understanding the middle path which means that it's never too good. In Burmese, we have this saying, which is if you have, if you take just enough, it's medicine. But if you take too much, then it becomes dangerous. It's like my mm -hmm. best explanation I can come back, come yeah. up with. Yeah. 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 So that's what I've been like, that's been my journey to really understand what is this middle ground? What is this middle path? Because I used to be so much in my masculine. I used to be so much about the hustle and the doing and the action. And I mean, I can do it anytime. Like I can do it in my sleep, you know. But then uh, my journey has been about like really coming into the feminine, but also like not super feminine, not super masculine. What's the middle ground? What's the middle path so that I can do things from a much uh, balanced point of view? Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, that's, yeah, I can see how that has happened in your journey. So yeah, I, I guess, you know, I can't, I can't even think when, what year we met, but I guess we've known each other for maybe about eight years, somewhere yes. around there. And, you know, on my social media a few months ago, a post came up of us a number of years ago. And so I guess a bit of a backstory for the audience is, um, you used to live in Perth and so did I um, and then you moved away over to the east coast and yes we saw each other here and there um, but it wasn't until two years ago when you moved back to Perth that um, we were spending more time together again and from that time from when you were first in Perth and I met you 
you know, the energy that I got from that photo was remembering you in this, uh, the essence of being a girl, like is it what kind of comes to me? And then when you came back to Perth and we reconnected, I just remember like feeling your energy and being like, whoa, like you've grown. Yes, there was um, a decent amount of years that had passed, but there was a dramatic notice in (laughs) the energy you now held. The energy you now held was of a woman. And even though when you had left Perth, you were in your early 30s, you you were still, you know, technically already a woman, you had made this big shift energetically from a girl to a woman. Mm-hmm. And so can you tell us what reco- what happened inside of you for that mm-hmm. shift to happen? Uh, how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> um, short answer, a child happened. Um, but long answer, I think the move to the East was very much needed for a lot of things, not only just my personal growth and uh, becoming a woman, but also really understanding about life, understanding about love, understanding about boundaries, understanding about what it means to be a parent, understanding about responsibilities and pretty much a lot of things, you know, holding space and all of that. So in a nutshell, I met someone in 2016 and it happened really quickly because I was in Melbourne to speak at Secrets in the Garden and Melbourne was not on my list to visit ever because I thought I would never, I I didn't like the city, I don't wanna be there, I don't need to be there. And I remember you asked me, I think early that year or maybe around April if I wanted to speak at Secrets in Melbourne and I said no Mm. and then thoughts got filled and I think Secrets happened in October and if I'm not wrong around September I think or very close to the event I came out of a ceremony and it was very clear I need to speak at the Secrets so I contacted you and I said hey Amy do you still do you still have any spots available and you said Arabelle this is so weird because Marnie I think just um moved or got out or something like that and she said a spot just got open and it's yours and I was like okay this is the sign then I'm going to Melbourne a place that I don't want to be at right or the story that I had at the time so I came to Melbourne and I never end up Getting to speak because the typhoon, <laughs> no, the hurricane, no, what do you call no, it? No, I don't know. It was a horrendous storm came through yeah. and, and canceled the event. Yes. Yeah, I know. It was horrible. So the storm happened and it was literally just before my turn to speak. And then I was there like a little child throwing a tantrum. I told you, I was talking to myself. I told you, I don't want to be in Melbourne. You talked yourself into this and now you're stuck in Melbourne. What are you going to do? <laughs> But then that was when, um, to cut the story short, I happened to be at the place at the right time because it was meant to be. And I met this man who quickly, you know, with things that quickly very much escalated. And three months later, I ended up, I think three or four months later, I ended up moving to Melbourne um, for love. And um, yeah, and it was a very interesting story. So I never actually also wanted to be a mother. I never saw myself as a mother because I always thought that I'm going to be this entrepreneur or businesswoman who's going to be out there doing these incredible things because I, di- I didn't understand that motherhood is actually an incredible thing. I didn't understand that. I, know. Um, I, lo- so- I love that when we connected um and I had just had my first son Ollie and we had met at a cafe and you were holding him and you're like I don't think this is for me <laughs> and I still then have that photo later. in my phone yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Ollie was this tiny little baby I know I remember that yeah but then you know I I got pregnant um within seven months of moving to Melbourne it's really interesting and I I, I didn't know, but 
I was already pregnant when I was in the jungle. And I'm pretty sure that Elijah was conceived in the jungle because the, the experience that I had in that jungle ceremony was like the most intense I've ever had. And the ceremony itself was this big, um, like a big bird that was scratching my heart out, which I was like clutching my heart and screaming because it was so painful. Um, but that bird is a Garuda. So in in our culture, and I think in also Indonesian culture, um, but I, in Burmese culture, a Garuda bird is a Sunday. So each day has a animal for us. It's like a zodiac sign. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I didn't put two and two together in the beginning, right? So it was like this Garuda bird. It was scratching my heart. It was so painful. And what I realized was when Elijah was born, he's a Sunday born, a Garuda. And it, he was cleansing my heart because I needed space in my heart to give him a lot of love because he was my first loved. Like after I had him, it was like, if this is love, what are all these others? <laughs> I didn't understand. Like, you know, yeah, wow. so, so yeah, I mean, the moment I figured out, but we found out that I was pregnant it was just, I thought I would be thinking of other things, but it was just like a straight, yes. It was, I didn't even waver. It was like, well, let's do it. For someone who never wanted a child, it was just very clear. Um, the other person <laughs> wasn't very clear, but I was like, if you didn't want it, it's okay. I'll take care of him. Like, I'm going to, it's a yes, you know, but um, in that moment as well, I, there was a lot of, um, emotional abuse happening in the relationship. Um, obviously, I did not know that because I realized that looking back, like you don't know these things when you're in it and you really only get to have like a different perspective when you're out of it, right? But then I also didn't even think of leaving because then I was pregnant and, you know, all there, I have a lot of cultural conditioning as well where you don't do this, you don't do that. And, you know, if you walk out when you are this and, you know, it's going to be bad and your name is going to be ruined forever and all these things were in my head too. So I stayed but um, when, uh, when Elijah was born, it was just very clear, very, very clear that everything in my life, in my relationship, and most importantly, my relationship with myself, um, how I show up in life, every single thing needed to change because it was just not working. I saw how I did not have any boundaries. I was just going to say, and what did, what did that look like? Like, what did the journey of discovering you've got no boundaries look like? It's, it's layers, so many layers um, happening over weeks and months. But there was, it looked like gaslighting. So I've always been a very intuitive person since young. Um, I tell this story to my audience and my clients a lot about since even when I was a kid, if a fish jumped out of a pond, I would dream about it. And I would run down and I would find a fish on the ground and I would pick it up and save it. If the bees leave the beehive, I would dream about a bee saying goodbye. In the morning, I would go and see the bees are gone. I, if a pet died, dogs, right, died. And if my parents buried the dog because they didn't want me to like see the whole process, I would dream I would see exactly where the dog was buried because the dog would come and say goodbye to me in my dreams. Or I would have these intuitive downloads. I mean, obviously I didn't know the word at the time, right? So I have always been a very intuitive child since young, a person since young. And in the relationship, my intuition told me so many things that were wrong because there were many times I would feel my life force was just literally getting sucked out of me. Like I couldn't breathe. When I walked into the house, I felt like it was this black void, just, and I would just lose myself. I didn't know how to explain or articulate that. But a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine lived in our house for I think a month or two. She didn't tell me at the time, but she left. She gave me so many excuses why she had to move out. She only told me like a year or two later, and she said she left because she couldn't breathe, because she felt like walking into this blackness, this darkness, this void that just sucks the life out of her. I thought I was the crazy one, you know, because I was told that I was creating stories in my head. By and I would partner. have these. You were told by your partner you were crazy. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. 
And I would have, I also had a lot of, um, what do you call it? Prenatal anxiety. Yep. Yep. When I was pregnant, I would have these visions about all these like crazy thoughts would come in and it wasn't nice because I was having anxiety. Like even when I'm in the car, um, when the pedestrian light would go green, it would go and I would hear it and it would give me anxiety just for no reason. And I would tell him like, I think I'm having anxiety. I don't know what's happening. Um, I don't, I, I really did not know what was happening with me. And he told me that that was his ex who was a sorcerer. That's what he told me. I don't know her. I've never seen her. He said, she's a sorcerer and she's doing this on me. And because she's doing this to me, like some black magic and he can't interfere with this process. So I need to fight it off myself. I mean, I don't know how to fight off sorcery or black magic. I was not trained in that. I have no idea what to do. Like, honestly, I did not know. And that was not a nice experience when you're heavily pregnant and having anxiety. It just added my anxiety levels. Like, But I realized that the more he fed me those stories, the more I stuck on, like I was completely dependent on him. And I don't know if that's what he wanted. I'm not sure, but I wasn't earning money. I had to rely on him financially, pretty much. I had to rely on him on everything. I've never been that person in my entire life. Ask anyone who knows me since young, they will all describe me in the same words, independent, free spirit, don't rely on any, doesn't rely on anybody, like that's me. But in that moment, I lost who I was. I didn't even know who I was. I was 100% dependent on him. And if I have this like intuitive downloads of what was wrong, and even I'm not going to go into details on this part, but even like the way he does his work with his clients, like I, in my, in my opinion, there were things that were not done right. And I would say, and he would say things that would make me wrong um, and say, you do not know because you're not a medicine woman. I'm a medicine man. I know better than you. Um, we used to do a lot of work together. There were some many parts that I loved about it, but there were also many parts where he would put me down. And when people loved it, when people would say, oh my God, that was like the best experience we've ever had. He would say, that's all because of me. I'm the one who's activating. I'm the one who's doing the work. All you did was lay out the yoga mats. That's what he said. Wow. Yeah. So what, so what, I, was, the, what was the low point for you where you were like, this is enough. Yeah. Um, the When the contraction started, when I was about to give birth to Elijah, because our agreement was like in our culture, right? Asian culture, we're like very close. And I have a very tight relationship with my family and, you know, women support each other. And like families, they like, that's how I grew up. Our family is there for each other. Even if we argue, we're there for each other. We never do anything, bad things to each other. But what he told me was, um, my mother is not allowed in the room unless he says he's, he lets her in. That's the agreement, like let alone other people. So my mom was there, my um, best friend was there and they were not allowed in, that was the agreement. And because I was not in the right mind and because you know, I had no boundaries because I really didn't know who I was. And I was at a very, very low point. I said yes to everything because I thought, because I was told that that's how things are supposed to be. And he said um, things like, in Australia, this is how we do things. You don't come into our country and do things your way. So I said, okay, all right, that's how we're going to do it. And because I've read stories about you know, how, how the husbands, like we weren't married, but I've read stories about how the husbands like catch a baby. And I don't know how they catch a baby. I thought it was like really <laughs> exciting. Right. So I was like, okay, we're going to be doing home birth. And when the baby comes out, he's going to catch the baby. Like, I was like, imagining all these things, like it's a new world for me. I did not understand. Um, but when I actually started having contractions and I do not wish upon anybody else, because though contractions are like the worst thing ever it was so painful I was screaming and I wanted him to be there because he he had been my I was completely dependent on him the whole time right the whole time and mainly emotionally and he wasn't there um he wasn't there um and my so my mom just like 
nah, this is not happening. Of course, my mom's like a very fierce woman. So my mom and my best friend were there the whole time, uh, which I'm super grateful for. And 36 hours into labor, I was like, I was, you know, it's my first experience. And I, I wanted that experience because I read stories about how these other women share about these beautiful birth stories. I wanted to tell my story in that way. Oh my God, I didn't think I would get emotional talking about it. Yeah, so I think I was like wanting to create that. And so I was like very stubborn. And my mom's like, you got to go to the hospital. And I'm like, no, I'm not going. I'm staying here. I'm staying here because I wanted him to just like wake up because he was sleeping most of the time. I wanted him to wake up and say, okay, baby, we're doing this. And that's what I was waiting for. But by 36, I think it was 34. I can't really remember. My mom was like, she just made an ultimatum. She's like, I'm calling the ambulance. We are going to the hospital. By that time, I, I didn't even have like the energy to say no. I was like, okay, whatever. Just take me to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So we ended up in the hospital and, you know, there were like, a few more hours on the bed and eventually they figured out that Eli was too big for my um, frame and I couldn't have the natural birth and I um, needed to have like a cesarean and by that time I was also like just give me whatever like it was just so painful I couldn't take it anymore so they gave me the epidural and that was like the biggest moment for me because when they gave me epidural I don't know if it was anxiety or if it was the epidural Obviously, I did not do enough research about it to know about it. But after I was given, the first thing I felt was my heart. um, That was what I felt started beating really, really slow. I thought I was going to die. And in that moment, I didn't want to say anybody, but and, you know, the, the father was also either out smoking or sleeping. He was not there to hold my hand or to give me like words of encouragement or none of that. Um, in that moment, I asked, I called my mom and I said, mom, can you say prayers? And um, my mom knew what I was feeling. And she said prayers for me. And in that moment, in my head, I was like, even if I'm gone, um, you got to take care of Elijah. But obviously, you know, that went well. I didn't die. (laughs) Here I am doing the podcast. But in that moment, um, although I wasn't thinking, now looking back on the hindsight, I made a decision like things needed to change. Like I was over it. But I did not consciously know that it was over, that things needed to change. I did not know that. But what happened was the next day in the morning, I was expecting him to come, you know, first thing in the morning to come and see us, but he couldn't even wake up. Um, 11.30, I called him and he just woke up and, you know, and I found out when we got home that he was actually um, high and drunk that night. That's why he couldn't wake up. So, and not only that, when I found out, he thought my mom told me. My mom even didn't knew. I actually hid it from my mom because I didn't want my mom to know that my partner was doing all those things because I was so ashamed and embarrassed. Yeah. But he actually went and stormed into their rooms and he yelled at my mom and all of that. And I was like, that's it. That's it. And I saw everything. I saw how I did not have boundaries. I saw how weak I was. I just... I saw how I just gave my power away. I saw, I saw everything. I saw because I had a child and I was clear that my God, I will never let my child grow up and experience this ever. Nobody should experience the gaslighting, all of that. Um, there was a lot more, but I'm not going to go into details. But um, yeah, was, I remember you sharing that story with me the first time and I broke down in tears and I felt your pain because, yeah, that's not something that a woman that has a partner should go through. Like their partner yeah. is meant to be there to support them and it is meant to be the most beautiful time to be able to welcome a life into the world. But yeah, your yeah. birth of your son Obviously, as painful it was, was the rebirth of you, which hundred percent, yeah, was a gift in itself. So, what did 
the process of rebuilding Arabelle look like? So how long did it take for you to actually leave and walk out of that? I mean, the rebuilding process is still happening till today. Um, But it took me six months to leave because I was still too confused, you know, sleep deprived because I was pretty much raising him myself day and night. And, you know, when you're sleep deprived, you're not thinking clearly and all of that. But I remember um, I, and I've always been this person who never asked for help because I was misindependent, you know? So I thought it was, my it was now I see that but at the time I thought it was a weakness to ask for help so I never asked for help but the good thing was when I do then people know I really needed help so that was when I asked my mom um can you fly over that's all I said and she said done I'm packing my bags I'm getting on the plane that's all she said and two days later she was there and um when my mom's there a lot of the symptoms that I was experiencing, the black magic and all of that, right? It was gone. So, I mean, my mom's did not, doesn't understand like how to do any of that. So obviously it was not black magic. It was me feeling that lack of support and uh, not having the environment just to recover and, you know, to, um, yeah, to recover. So when my mom was there, just her presence just shifted a lot of things. And I felt so much stronger within myself. Um, and having help is a big thing, a big, big, big thing, you know, just sharing the load. And so then, um, then after a while, my mom had to go back to hold her home. So she asked me if I wanted to um, go with her to Burma just to like rest a little bit where she can continue to support me and Elijah. And at the time, I still didn't have the guts and I didn't, I was like so confused. And so I asked him, um, should we go back or should we not? And um, he said, yeah, just go back um, because it was probably easier for him I'm not sure so we went back and bit by bit everything just started getting really clear so I normally uh, go back and run events in Burma um, before that and so I was like okay now I'm going back to Burma why don't I just throw an event you know just for fun just so that I can get back in touch with that part of me just to feel like what it's to feel alive again, to do things that really lights me up. So I said, okay, I'm going to do an event. And it was not for money. It was just for me, purely for me. So one thing led to another. The event was really successful. Like 200 people showed up and all these like celebrities in the country showed up. It's really weird how everything happened. And, you know, one thing led to another. Um, Yeah, I started getting clients. I started seeing things really clearly. I started meeting people who were really giving me like really words of encouragement on how to get back on my feet. And that was also the time when I was also really internally clear. I just needed that outside help and belief in me and that encouragement and the right environment to be able to stand back on my feet again. So that process was, I have to say, really quick. And I realized the power of being in the right environment. Because when you are in the right environment, it's so much faster to heal and recover and get back on your feet. And that's what happened for me. So I started focusing on work because now I have support like my mom. And I started building myself, you know, like bit by bit, boundaries, or how I show up, how I think, the thoughts, the judgments that I was making myself because I was made wrong the whole time and I had to really recondition myself that no your intuition has been spot on you're not wrong you know that's what they call gaslighting is and I started understanding all of these and then that was when I really also started to realize what the personal the the people in the personal development industry say about your external reality is a direct reflection of your internal reality and I really realized that because the first biggest shift that I saw was the monetary piece. I was not working to make millions or six figure or five figure, none of that. I worked because I did not want to beg for money because I did not have until today, I did not receive one cent of child support or any kind of support. So I was 
I have my pride and I'm like, I'm never going to beg for money. I'm also not going to ask for the government to pay me money. I'm a capable woman. I'm going to show my son that when you put your mind to it, there is nothing that you can't achieve. So that was where I started. Not like I want to make money and I want to get rich. Mm-hmm. But I think the sheer determination, my biggest why, which was my son, and the whole experience really turned me into a woman who, not only just a woman, a woman who is empowered, a woman who started to believe in herself, a woman who started to realize that she is capable of way more than what she was told and what she was made to believe about herself. And I started to really see, sorry about the language, but who the fuck I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, I love it. Love the language. <laughs> <laughs> So you have like, and yes, you went through this major low, but then after that major low, um, you know, correct me on the right time frame and the amounts, but it was what only eighteen months, and you skyrocketed and achieved so much in those eighteen months. So do you want to share what did you achieve, yeah. and yeah, what was that exact time frame? Sure. And everything after that just happened so quick. And that's what, again, what they say, the quantum shift and the quantum leap is exactly that. So within six months, I made half a million dollars. Within 12 months, I made $1.58 million. It was incredible. I did not know how I made that really, because (laughs) I I never intended to make millions or like I said you know I don't know and when I made half a million I didn't even know that until I went to a workshop and they said we had to do our numbers and numbers were something I was so scared of but I was like okay if you ask me to do I sat down and did my numbers and I was like holy shit we made half a million dollars really because I did not check my bank account I didn't do anything I was just like focus on That's so interesting because, you know, so much in the personal development space when we do courses around money, they're like, look at your money, like take responsibility for your money. If you want to make money, you need to like, look at it, but you didn't. That is not in the beginning. Yeah. 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 And yet you called so much in. Yeah. I, obviously these are all like, as you know, this is all like energetic work. So I can't really tell like, oh, it's because of A and B and C. I could only speculate. And my theory is um, that happened um, because of years of work prior to that. It's a com- like it's a compound effect because I've been working towards that for years. Right. But then I think when I eventually I had the biggest push. So in a weird, twisted way, as much as that relationship and that experience was painful and quite traumatic, it helped me. You know, I'm not trying to turn everything into a positive, but I actually am quite grateful for that experience. I do not want to experience that again, but that was like the biggest push, I think. And it was like this, you know, putting like nitro. Um, like from the sports cars (laughs) for the like years of work that I've done. And I think that's what happened. But I also understand what they said about what they say about like, you got to look at your numbers, you got to, you know, you know, romance your money and all of, I understand that too, because after we hit 1.5a, what I had to start doing was, you know, like, I'm sure you've heard people say about hitting the plateau and Mm -hmm. we've that as well so when I hit the sort of like that plateau and that plateau started in my body because I can feel like I've hit something but I don't know what it is I couldn't really pinpoint it that was when I actually started practicing looking at my numbers so now I every week so I have my CEO days and on my CEO days what I do is like I have a wealth date so basically I date myself on that and I look at myself like it's my date with the numbers you know so every week I look at my numbers I look at my investment um you know uh at different bank accounts how much is what and where it's coming from what I spend on like not to, like break down details on like okay I spent eight dollars on uber eats the other day like I don't look at that but I look at like the bigger high level numbers every every week on my um CEO day and what I personally found 
so far is that when I actually put focus on the money, even if I have like a large money going out, it always comes back in. So I don't know if it's because of what they say about where your focus goes, your energy flows. Maybe it is that. Maybe it is that I'm just being responsible with my numbers. Again, like I said, you know, these are all I this is all happening in the energy. So mm -hmm. I can't say it's exactly because of these, but I can only speculate that these are all because of these combination of things that are happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So is that the one thing that you felt shifted you from that plateau was looking at your, your numbers? Oh, well, yes. And, and of course, like there are so many other things that I, we have to do. Like I have had, you know, my team has grown so much since in the beginning, it was just me and me and me. Uh, but now we have nine people, but we have had people coming and going. So, you know, it's also learning about learning to be a CEO and not trying to micromanage and to learning to trust people, learning to delegate, learning to be a visionary, you know, understanding what my strengths are, what their strengths are. And when we really understood that, then it's about like sitting down and coming up with strategies. And so far in my business, what I found, I mean, every business is unique, but for my business, what I found in my business is that I've actually learned to love sales so much. Uh, so it's not just like learning to love sales. It's about really having fun when I'm selling. And it's not just about me speaking about it. It's about really having fun. So then I started playing with strategies, how I offer. So in my business, how we offer this month and how we offer things next month is completely different. I come up with it's like a little game, but it's a fun game for me and for my audience to play, you know, and what I realized is that if I'm having fun, because I have to have fun, right? If I'm bored and if it's just like this launch checklist that I have to follow every single time, then I just become this robot and I don't enjoy the process anymore. And that energy obviously flows into the business and the sales process and our sale numbers go down. But if I actually have fun with the sales process, which we do every single month, we just had a like full on four hour session this morning with my team. And um, we just come up with new plans for this month. How can we make this fun? Not just for us, for people as well. So, so yeah, so it's like learning to love sales and really coming up with all these different strategies. And the biggest thing for me in our business is definitely not following what other people say. Like if the internet marketer says, this is how you create a sales page, I do the opposite. If they say I need this, 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 this on a landing page, I don't do that. Um, because if I do it, I'm just doing it because they told me to. My heart's not there. My energy's not there. People don't feel it. They don't buy. Yeah, agree. Totally agree with that. So, yeah, yeah I guess over the last month, I've been really delving into working with business owners and looking at their like numerology, the human design charts, and then how to tailor their business strategies based mm -hmm. on that. So it's, an, it's authentic and it's in alignment with them. Have you yeah. done much within that space? Um, no, actually, no, well, I've had a session before at like human design uh, recently, not recently, about a couple of months ago. I kind of forgot about it. And it's so funny we're talking about this because yesterday I was going through my notes and I saw those notes and I was reading it. And then probably maybe my subconscious mind absorbed it during that session although I forgot about it consciously but I've been implementing it so I'm a projector so projectors are not about obviously I don't know too much I'm just telling you what I remember from the notes like projectors are not supposed to be like doing all the time right, right. we need to yeah. like rest a lot play a lot and then when we have that inspiration strikes then we do it and that's what I've been really implementing without knowing like I'm doing something that suits my design mm -hmm. if that's how you say it so so maybe I'm doing something right I don't know I'm feeling less over much 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 less overwhelmed these days and having so much more fun yeah yeah no definitely can see that and I can see you are living by your design as such but yeah Yay, intuitively good. intuitively <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 
I'm interrupting this episode to share with you an exciting new tool for those who are wanting to move from a state of fear, anxiety, or overwhelm and into a state of flow. The tool is the divinely guided online program called my Fear to Flow 30-Day Challenge. If you feel you're in a place of stagnancy, low self-worth, or you have feelings of fear around what is the next step for you to take in life or business, or have a general fear around making the right decision, then this 30-day challenge is perfect for you. I have created it so most of the daily challenges don't require much time and effort so that your resistance to change and shifting your beliefs is quite low. It is a juicy filled challenge that is currently only priced at $1 a day. You can join by following the link in my show notes or visiting my website, amyredunds.com. And now back to the episode. So I'd love for you to share because for mums that see you as such an inspiration that you've um, created this such a successful business as a single mum, what tips do you have for single mums that are trying to be that inspiration for their child and to create um, a legacy for their family? You know, it's funny, Every people ask me this every single time and I should really come up with a list. <laughs> like, I, like yesterday in the event that we ran, they asked me the same thing, but I really don't have a list, but if I look back, there are a couple of things that I did that I can share and that might probably resonate with some people. And for me, the biggest thing is my son, you know, as cliche as it sounds, it is him. And maybe, maybe I think if he were to grow up in a very healthy environment, I probably, maybe, I don't know, not have this much drive if I feel like he's safe, you know, all of that. But because I feel like he was growing up in an environment, if I didn't do anything about it, it was toxic. It's not safe for him. Um, you know, there are some substances around and all of that. Like, I, I just had to take action. So maybe that just puts a lot more weight into my why. Maybe, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I was just so determined And I was just shown so clearly what it's like to not parent for me personally and what I need to, who I need to become as a parent. And so I had to be that. So everything like how I ask myself this question all the time. If I'm doing something that is out of alignment and I know that and I'm not changing myself, whether it's money or relationship or business or friendships, I ask myself this. Is this what you want Elijah to learn? Is this what you want Elijah to pass on? Is this what you're embodying because he's learning? And whenever I ask myself that question, I didn't even need to go into any stories or like weighing pros and cons. It was just like that. that. The answer. Okay. The answer is there. Then it's like, okay, then how do you show up? How do you navigate this? How do you handle this? And the answer is right there in front of me. If, 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 even in business, you know, there are times where I feel, I felt so overwhelmed and, you know, I wanted to shut everything down and run away and just hide under the you know covers and just eat pizza and watch movies all day and just switch off the whole world. And I've done that for about a day. Um, and then I asked myself, is this how you navigate life? Is this how you call leadership? Because your son's going to be a leader in whatever format that would be, right? Even if he has just like full self-leadership, is this what you want to teach your son? And I'm like, okay, no, I've had my tantrum moments. I'm going to get up now and I'm going to get to work. So that's been like my biggest motivator, inspiration and my why. But also, of course, another thing is I think I've, Like, I believe that we all have this voice inside of us. You know, there's so much noise outside of us, but there is this voice inside of us. And that voice always speaks the truth. And that voice inside of me, she's not really kind to me and not saying like she says um, nasty words. It's like, you know, I'm on a treadmill and I'm just like pitying myself. Oh, little poor Arabelle. She's going, she's having to experience this and playing victim. And she's like, Arabelle, remember who the fuck you are. And I was like, 
okay, I hear you. All right. So I always have that voice who would like probably parent myself, you know, parent me, pick me up, pull me out of that hole every single time. So I listen to her and I think it's the relationship that I have cultivated over the years to hear that voice. And I believe that everyone has that. And sometimes we just don't want to hear it or we turn it off or we don't have a relationship with. So that voice is a little bit not, not loud. So people don't hear it. And so people tend to listen to the noises outside of us. So I think that's also the biggest thing for me. Um, and so just to give our audience some perspective. So you started your personal development journey at 22. And then how old were you when um, you gave birth to Eli? So that people have a like understanding of what was the time frame where you had create like you had worked on yourself and you created that oh. bank of self-development yeah. work. Yeah. 36. 36, yeah. So 14 so years. It's been a long time. Yeah. But yeah. even then, you know, that's why like sometimes when people ask me, Arabel, how? How did you do that? How did like how and I can't really give you an answer to the how because it's not something I did the other day it's like years that's why I say it's like a compounded effect you know it's a compounded result it's all these little things all the failures and trials and errors and all these courses that I took uh, that did work or didn't work or you know the people who lied and stole my money and the people who helped everything everything added to this Mm -hmm. And I would love to add to that as well. You know, I did a meditation um, a couple of weeks ago and the download that I got was, yes, we can choose to have our learnings and our teachings through hard work, but we can also receive those learnings and teachings with ease and grace. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and so it's choosing that. It's choosing to, um, yeah, how we receive receive those learnings as well. I was talking about it with my friend here the other day. And, you know, it's really interesting because I get it because I look at some of the people who are way ahead of me, whether it's financially or even like life experience wise, you know, they've navigated really tough things in their life or whatever. Right. And then they are like teaching or preaching certain things. And then, but some of us who haven't experienced that, we listen to that and we're like, yeah, of course you can say that because you've achieved this or you've gone through this. Right. And I get it because now this part of my journey is really tapping into that the ease and flow and grace that everything really get to be effortless and I'm actually really starting to experience thing experience that right now even you know like sales coming in when I'm sleeping when I'm talking to you when I'm going out for a walk they are coming in and it is that easy but it hasn't always been that way but it is that easy so now I can really rewire that because I have that evidence but if I if this me where to tell the younger me that, hey, Arabelle, it gets to be easy and flowy. And she'll be like, yeah, bullshit, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know what's the right answer to that. I think it's good to really like condition ourselves that things really get to be easy and flowy and effortless. I think it's a good way to condition that. But also I truly believe that some of us have these life lessons that we needed to learn. And so some of us really needed to go through these experiences. So for me, for example, I work with clients who are in the deepest, the deepest of the depths in their you know, struggles and challenges. And I can meet them there because I've been there. Yes. If I just read books, but if I haven't been there, I may be able to help but I wouldn't be able to really get it or connect them on that level. Um, That's what I believe. But does that mean that do I need to purposely create situations where I go through these experiences until I die? Absolutely not. I think I've had my fair share of life lessons now and I really get to enjoy the ease and flow and grace and effortlessness and the bliss that everybody talks about. So I think, I don't know what the answer to that. I think we get to experience both. That that would be what I say. <laughs> Sur- surrender to what life is gifting you and in what ways life gives it to you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So before we started this interview, before we started recording, you were sharing with me what it's like to travel the world with a child. 
um, and how that has shown you so many things. So do you want to share with us, like what are the teachings or the observations you've noticed traveling the world with your son? Yeah. I mean, this is something new for me, right? Because I mean, I've traveled before, but not like this. And so um, four or five months ago, I got this nudge. Um, I mean, that nudge has been coming for a while, but I never really listened. But then like five months ago, I really started listening. And um, I was told that it's time to just Um, you know, sell everything and just start traveling. It's so scary, especially when you have a child or at least for me, right? And so when I started doing that and even until recently, people, uh, there are people who criticize me for that. People said I'm irresponsible, I'm reckless, that I didn't, I'm not giving my child the stability of the classroom to learn, but instead taking my child everywhere. And I have to laugh because I've seen Elijah's growth in the last three and a half months, like nothing. He's, so the first thing that I noticed is traveling. To, so we've um, been in the UAE, we've been in the UK, uh, Spain, um, Mexico, and also like in each country, like we've been to different parts of the country as well. We're about to head to Costa Rica and then after that, Italy. So what I'm noticing is that the first thing is, um, the energy of different countries and different cities and different lands really, really affect and impact who I be, what I think, what I eat, how I behave, everything. It's phenomenal. It's like, I'm just like this baby learning about the world right now. And I love it. I love it because I get to experience all these things that I wouldn't experience sitting in that beautiful home. And not only that, Elijah's just like picking up so many things. He gets to meet and see different cultures. Like I bought him this big, massive world map. And then we are learning about continents and animals and, you know, the oceans and the seas and where we're going. And it's just, I'm like, he's living the time of his life. He's, and he's, he's in, in the, the best school. Oh my goodness. He is in the best school. He's picking up words. Like now we go out and he's like, hola. (laughs) And then he would say like, buenos dias. And it's so very cool, you know? And then if somebody does, he's like, gracias. (laughs) (laughs) And to give give everyone context, Eli's for, for next month, right? Yes, he's four next month and he's learning so much. Um, Like, you know, when we travel, I tell him we are going to we're about to get onto an airplane and then he knows mommy where are the passports he knows everything he knows everything so even if I like take out the passports at the immigration counter and because like I've got like him and the bags and you know all of these things or sometimes like when we have to move through the x-ray thing like we have to take off like our shoes and hand chains and everything right so everything's a mess so I'm putting everything in and the first thing he asks is mommy passports are they in the bag it's incredible. Like he's learning to be responsible. He's learning to really take ownership of the things. He's learning languages. He's learning culture. He's learning to be with different people. And he's learning to be with people who doesn't speak his language. And so he's learning a lot more about energies because now they don't understand each other. So he has, he's always been intuitive, but now he has to read people through body language and energy. And, you know, he would tell me whether he liked this person or doesn't like this person. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, he's, he's learning from, he's absorbing so much from so many cultures. Cause you are, you're traveling to so many diverse cultures. What yeah. a special gift. I'm a God. Yeah. For our audience, I'd love for you as your takeaway, what are your top three tips for manifesting your life's dreams? I would say from my recent experiences in life, well, definitely the first one is to have a vision um, because it's really important where you want to go, what kind of life you want to create, what kind of life that you want to live who do you want to be? Every single one of those, like we need to do the human work and we need to get clear on all of this because the human needs to understand all of that because we also have this brain that focuses on things that we tell it to focus on. So the more we get clear and the more we play in that space of 
what kind of life, how I want to live, how much money do I want to have, who do I want to surround myself, all these things. And if we just keep dreaming about it, we're literally telling our brain that this is who we are. And our brain notices more of those opportunities and people and places, right? Everything on Instagram, I follow a lot of travel influences. I've been traveling travel influences for a while. And I realized that as I travel to all these different places, I'm like, oh my God, I've saved this like two years ago, three years ago, and now I'm here. So it's definitely part of manifestation, although not actively doing that. So vision is really, really important. But what's also really important from my recent experiences in life is the ability to be able to walk with pain and power. Because we think that when we think about manifestation or living in your dream life, we think about bliss, we think about like flying business, we think about, you know, all these like glamorous life. But trust me, in the, in, in the glamour, there are always challenges. So am I living a very blessed life right now? I am. Do I still have many challenges? Oh, hell yes. You know, am I still navigating a lot of things? Oh, yes, definitely. But what I realized is that it is the ability, it is my ability so far to be able to walk with pain and power that creates this container. And the more I can hold, the bigger my container is. And the bigger my container is, the more that comes into my life. And when we talk about the more, people only think about like the positive things, you know? It's always easy to receive more money, um, more travel, more of this, more love, more, it's always good. But with that, the other also comes in, always. And I'm not coming from a fear-driven place. I'm coming from, I believe that I'm coming from a very balanced view because it's the law of nature. Everything, you know, everything has a balance. So when there is this, there is also this, Dr. Martini talks about it. And now I really get to see, and it is to have the ability to extend your ability to be able to walk with pain and power simultaneously. And so vision that, and the last thing is really, I guess just be kind to yourself, you know, we go to the other space a lot, which is, I'm not good enough. Is this going to happen? Where's the money? I'm doing all the work. I'm not seeing anything. Look at my life. It's, it sucks. All of this. And she's telling me to dream about all of those. Yes. Because then stay there. It's okay. Don't get yourself out. Like don't shut that space off because we need that because that's human, right? then we don't need to be there forever and just come back and hang out here and if you need to go back and pity yourself go back there it's okay because i've done that back and forth so many times and still doing it in other places we need that back and forth because i believe that or at least in my experience i learn more about myself in that back and forth than just staying here in all the bliss and blessed life i don't really learn anything mm -hmm. you know so the back and forth is very much needed so it's okay and don't judge yourself, be kind to yourself, but come back, come back and hang out here in your dreams and in your visions, because the more you hang out here, the real it becomes in your dreams and in your mind and in your um, you know, imagination. And before you know it, your dream state and your awake state is like the lines are very blurred and your body, your system, your brain, everything starts to think that this is where you live. And before you know it, that you have collapsed timelines, those quantum shifts and quantum leaps and everything, everyone like that's everyone's talking about, it actually naturally happens. And things shift so fast in my life. And I realized that it's not about like five steps to manifestation. It is really like living that. It's just funny, like coming back to our first very topic. It's about being able to be in the balance, learning to balance the masculine and the feminine, being able to be sad and be happy, being able to be in the victim, it's okay. And also pull ourselves out and hang out here and be a successful woman. It's okay to cry and also remember who the fuck you are, you know? And it's just, to me, it's that. So when now when somebody tells me there are five steps to manifestation, I'm like, oh yeah, maybe not. It's really just like learning to walk with both. That's the key to life and success, I think at least for me some beautiful truth bonds there thank you so yeah. for those that would love to work with you or follow your story more where can they find you and hear about what you're doing 
I love when people stalk me on Instagram. So please stalk <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> um, so it's a good opportunity for me to also say that like the, I have a Facebook business page, but it's for Burmese. So I will be posting um, major 99% of my stuff are in Burmese. So don't feel, oh, what is this? So come hang out on Instagram because that's where all the English content are. My travel updates, life updates, and even the offers. I say like this current season of my life I'm in my summer so I get to do a lot of things live I'm in a very creative mode so I'm creating like master classes and all these different things in English a lot so now there are a lot more things ways that people can come into my life and in my world than before because before most of the things are in Burmese and now we have a lot more stuff in English so if you want just go stalk me on Instagram and look at my highlight stories because um, there are links, there are stuff, travels and courses and masterclasses available all on there. Amazing. And I'll share all of that in our show notes as well. So thank you you so much for today. And thank you for shining a light and sharing so much of your wisdom with everyone. I just want to say thank you because of you, I'm able to speak a little bit more courageously about my relationship and that experience. And if not for you, I probably wouldn't have talked about it. So thank you for like being in my life as a friend. And thank you for having me on your podcast as well. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye.